I have a quick question I should have taken care of earlier. For the PA guys, do I need to stand up here? Can I walk down here? I can walk down here? All right. Thank you. Not too far. Okay. I'm just much more comfortable when I'm down on the same level. We've all heard the story of Eliezer and Rebecca, and many times, and correctly so, it's an illustration of how God can lead in our lives, and especially in the uh, picking of a spouse. I'm not going to talk about that today. I'm going to look at it from a whole different angle and take and apply it to ourselves right now so it's relevant to every single individual today. All right? But we have to back up a little bit from Eliezer and Rebecca's uh, contact, and we have to go back to Mount Moriah. And we know that story there, too, where Abraham takes Isaac and a couple of his servants and takes off for a mountain that the Lord would show him, there to offer his son as a living sacrifice. This came to Abraham in a dream, and he knew the voice of God to where he obeyed. And what does that say about the relationship between Abraham and God? He recognized God's voice. That's how close he was. Because if you had a dream like that, what would you say to it? What would you label it? A nightmare? Yeah, Yeah, okay. Go kill your son. Take him up here and offer him a living sacrifice. Uh Uh-uh, sorry. But he recognized God's voice. And there was a question that Isaac asked him. He says, hey, Dad, where's the lamb? And he says, God will provide. Ellen White in Patriarchs and Prophets has a very interesting commentary on this as she records this instance and expands it. Abraham knew God in such a way that he recognized his voice, but the plan of salvation was still a theory in his head. He had been told about it, he knew about it, and it was in his head. And he needed something to go through, an experience to go through. And it says in my, my Bible that God tempted Abraham. Now, we have to be careful with the word tempted. Because when I looked at my dictionary, there's two definitions. One is good and one is bad. You see, the devil tempts us to get us to fail. God tempts us to succeed. So here it was, this plan was being put into effect, and it was done by a history. And if we can't look, if we can't learn from history, and if Abraham can't learn from his experience, then what good is the whole thing? So he goes through this experience as a lesson, teaching him something. And Ellen White says the whole universe was watching to see this plan of salvation. It was going to be demonstrated by Abraham and Isaac, the servants, and at their position on the mountain. Everything starts speaking about the plan of salvation. 
And if I take my Bible and I look at God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, I have to start putting things together. So who would Abraham be representing? The father. Who would Isaac be representing? Who would the servants that stayed on the mountain, stayed down at the bottom of the mountain, be representing? Us. And as that whole thing was, was uh, experienced there, and as it unfolded, it came right down to where he had actually raised his hand and was ready to strike a death blow when the voice said, stop. And then there was a lamb. Why were the servants instructed to stay down off, off the mountain? Have you ever asked yourself the question? Why? To take any human element out of the plan of salvation. Man cannot be involved personally. Now, I have to be careful in how I say that. Because the plan of salvation, in its outline, deals with God, the Father, and God the Son. And the results of that plan benefit us, who are still way down on the mountain. It has nothing to do with what I do. It's everything that God has done and what Jesus has done. Okay, now, we need to take that basis and we need to move to Eliezer and Rebekah. We have to identify who Eliezer is. Who was he? Pardon? And what position did he occupy in the household? Okay. He was the eldest servant. So that means he not only in age, but he had been there in the employment of Abraham for a long time. And in fact, if I read my Bible correctly, it says at one time when Abraham and Isaac couldn't figure out when this promised son was to be born, what were they going to do with Eliezer? They were going to adopt him, right? Okay, so what was, what was the relationship between Eliezer and Abraham? Oh, it was so close. In fact, you take and look at it in, in Genesis 24. I'm finding it down here. In verse 2, and Abraham said unto his eldest servant of his house that ruled over all that he had. So did Abraham worry about anything? No, it was given to Eliezer. So somehow he had a very, very, very close relationship with Abraham. Okay, now, let's take and go back to Mount Moriah. Who did Abraham represent? the father, who does Eliezer represent as a servant? Us. Us. Given a commission to do what? Take care of his father's business, but Abraham called him in with a specific duty, a specific something was going to be special. What was that special thing that Eliezer was to do? 
find a bride for his son. Now, if, G if Isaac represents Jesus, and they're looking for a bride, correct? Let's go to Revelation. Who's the bride? We are. We are. And Eliezer being a servant. Now, last time I was here, I talked about the curse of Canaan. And I shared with you that Canaan dwelt in the tents of Shem and Japheth. And all the th good things that they did. And Eliezer also represented, because he was a Canaanite. But he had associated himself with Abraham almost to the point where he was adopted into the family. He knew who God was because when we get a little bit further in the story, when he gets to his prayer, I believe he had just a closer relationship with God as Abraham did. To be able to come and offer a petition to God and have it answered meant there's something there. There's something there. Okay. Revelation. Who's the bride? We are. To Jesus. Eliezer fulfills somebody who belongs to the family of God with a mission to go tell people in a foreign land. Correct? What's the foreign land? Earth. Are you beginning to paint a picture of what I'm trying to tell you? Okay, now let's look at how Eliezer approached this situation, okay? And that's in verse 12. Can you imagine with me? He's been given, I don't know if he'd ever traveled outside the country. Probably a little intimidating. Hey, just go back to uh, my brother's land and find a wife that was it pretty general isn't it it's about probably close to say 350 to 500 miles what would you be thinking all the way okay if i asked you to go and pick out my wife i want you to go to canada or i say i want you to go to mexico let's go a little bit further just go find me a wife what would your thought process be? <laughs> Number one, I probably don't speak the language. Number two, uh, where do I start? So Eliezer is processing this thing, you know, and he, he says, I, I understand. I know the story of a promised son and how it was fulfilled with Isaac. I understand that uh, he's, he's ready for a wife. And then the commission, go find a bride. For probably two weeks, that was the thing that was on his mind. Just wondering, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? And he finally comes up with an idea as he gets down to the city that Nahor had built. And in verse 12, he finally says, I need help. And he pleads his case by going through Abraham, who is a representative of? So who's his petition addressed to? The father. 
says, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed. For thy servant Isaac, therefore, thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. How fast was that prayer answered? It says before he was done speaking. In verse 15, and it came to pass before he had done speaking that behold, Rebekah came out who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And it goes into a description of what she looked like. She was fair to look upon a virgin. Neither had known any man. She went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant did what? Why did he run? Okay. Okay. He had just prayed a prayer, hadn't he? And how fast it had been answered. I mean, it was done. Okay, can you imagine the excitement that Eliezer felt like, oh my goodness, man, I I didn't know what to do here, and I prayed this prayer, and before I got done, it was answered. So where is he speaking now, from his head, trying to fulfill it, or is he speaking from his heart because he just experienced an answer from God? Okay, can you imagine the excitement? Now, he's got to conceal it because he doesn't want to scare her. All right? I mean, you have somebody run up to it and you say, hey, man, or hey, miss, not man. Hey, miss, God's chosen you for, to be the wife of my master, Abraham, for his son, Isaac. That would have scared her, right? All right, so what does he do? He has to get this answer, and he says, can I have a drink of water? And she said, Yes. Can you imagine now his heart beating faster and faster and faster? So he finishes drinking. I don't think he drank very much. Maybe a couple sips. And, and she set it down. She says, now, can I draw water for your camels? How many camels did he have? Ten. How much can camels drink in one? Yeah, they somewhere around 50 gallons if they're really thirsty. So let's just say 30 gallons, okay? These camels, let's say, aren't really thirsty. How much does a gallon of water weigh? Eight pounds. So how many gallons does she have to draw? Well, let's see. We got to go 10 times 30. That's 300, correct? Times eight. That's 2,400 pounds. Was it an easy task? No. An impossibility. What Eliezer said in his prayer, direct me and show me, was almost an impossibility without help. 
So his prayer was one of desperation of saying, I don't know what I'm doing. God, I leave it in your hands. And she drew a ton plus of water. How far was that well? And how deep was it? We don't know. Could she draw five gallons, which would weigh how much? 40 pounds and not spill it? How much she must have had muscle. So she had beauty, intelligence, and some good looking and some muscle. Okay? But Abraham is so excited, or not Abraham, Eliezer is so excited that he can hardly contain himself. So he brings out some gifts. Still hasn't told her. We pick it up and uh, in 21, the man wondering at her held his peace to know whether the Lord had made his journey, journey prosperous or not. And it came to pass, as the camels had done drinking, that the man took a golden earring of half a shekel of weight, two braces for her hands of ten shekels weight of gold. Now, if he just gave her a gift, what would she be thinking this gift was? Just payment. She had done a, da- a, a task. She hadn't been promised anything. But here was a gift, a free gift of gold and silver, something that was extremely precious and worth quite a bit of money. So she's happy. She still has no clues what's going on. But then he asked her name. Twenty-three. And said, Whose daughter art thou? Tell me, I pray thee, is there room in thy father's house for us to lodge in? And she said unto him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, which she bare unto Nahor. What was the instruction of Abraham to Eliezer? Go find a wife from my people. Eliezer didn't ask this, but what was fulfilled? in her identifying who she was. Abraham's instruction to Eliezer. So now he's had an answer to prayer. He's also had the fulfillment of the instruction that he had been given from Abraham, a wife of my people. Was Rebekah God's choice? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, who was Rebecca? Other than a relative of Abraham. Somebody from a foreign country? Somebody away from Abraham? And if Abraham was a symbol of God the Father, Isaac of Jesus, Rebecca lived in a foreign country. Who was she? She'd also be a representative of those who have not been adopted into the family or married into the family of God yet. And who has God chosen to be united with him? Sinners. Because we know 
that Nahor and his family had indulged in idol worship. And where was Eliezer to go and pick a wife? The bride of Jesus. To go to sinners and offer them the hope of salvation. Do you get the picture now? When we start putting all these representations together? But let's now look at Eliezer in a light. It says, in his testimony that convinced a non-believer to join to somebody she had never met, and her response was instantaneous. Let's look at it. So they go through the uh, introductions. She invites him to the house. She runs home and she says, hey, there's this guy here. It's giving me these gifts and stuff. And her brother Laban in verse 29 ran out unto the man. And it came to pass when he saw the earring and, earring and bracelets upon his sister's hand. And when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, saying, Thus spake the man unto me that he came unto the man and behold, stood by the camels at the well. And he says, Come on in. And this is something that these people just did. But Eliezer had something there in the gifts that he had to offer. And what we know about Laban, sometimes a little self-centered, when he saw these gifts, is get this guy in here, let's get this guy in here because he has something to give us. Not knowing yet that Rebekah was on the line to leave home and join to Isaac. And we see that in his response a little bit later. Okay, And so they invite him home. And they ask him who he is in verse 34. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord hath blessed my master greatly, and he has become great. He hath given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, and manservants, maidservants, and camels. And Sarah, my master's wife, bare his son unto my son when he was old. And unto him hath he given all that he has. And my master made me swear, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife to my son, to the daughters of Canaanites, in whose land I dwell. But thou shalt go into my father's house and unto my kindred and take a wife unto my son. Still hasn't identified Rebecca as the answer to his prayer, but he's starting to hint at it. I have something for you that will be special. And I'm going to ask you to do something special. Laban responds by inviting him in. And he tells the story about his prayer. And here's where I think we get to the most important part when we testify. Because Eliezer's testimony was, God answered my prayer. He did something for me. And he spoke with enthusiasm. He told the whole story. And he said, you know, all I wanted was a drink of water. And that was my prayer. She would then offer to draw water for my camels. And she did it. She is the one that's chosen. Can you imagine what Laban would be thinking? And so here you have a strange man talking about his sister leaving home to go to a foreign country 
to marry somebody she's never seen. What convinced Laban, Rebecca's mother, and Rebecca to say yes? What was it? The enthusiasm that Eliezer shared when he told the story of how God had answered his prayer. And he did it in such a way that was so convincing because this is a fact. It's not doctrine. It's not tradition. It's not a ritual. It's not a theory. It's fact because who did it happen to? So where was Eliezer speaking? From his head or from his heart? From his heart because it had happened. I mean, he was excited and as he told the story. I can imagine the enthusiasm. He says, guys, you know what? This is, I was standing there not knowing what to do and I prayed this prayer and lo and behold, Rebecca fulfilled every single item that I had asked for. And he did it in such a way that Laban says, this is of God and I cannot refuse it. They have a feast. Let's find it here and real, real quick. Laban, in verse 50, Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The things, this thing proceeds from the Lord. We cannot speak against the bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before thee. Take her and go. Let her be thy master's son's servant, as the Lord has spoken. There's still another part of the story. As it came to pass, when Abraham's servant heard their words, he worshiped the Lord, bowing himself to the earth. And the servant brought forth jewels of silver, jewels of gold and raiment, and gave them to Rebekah. He gave also to her brother and to her mother precious things. And they did eat and drink, and the, he and the men that were with him. And they tarried all night, and they rose up in the morning and said, Send me away unto my master. Verse 55. And her brother and her mother said, Let the damsel abide with us a few days, at least ten. After that she can go. But Eliezer said, Hinder me not, seeing the Lord hath prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. What's it telling us? You know, Jesus had a similar experience when he had called some some people to be disciples. And they said, you know, I'm getting married. I need to go home. What did he say? I have somebody to bury. I need to go home. And what did Jesus say? Come and follow me. Come and follow me. Eliezer gives us an example of how we are to witness to people. One is, number one, is to have an experience in a relationship that we can recognize who God is and we can trust when he gives us a task, especially of going out and witnessing to somebody else. Number two is we are to talk about what God has done for us and awaken within them a desire to have an experience because God takes care of us. 
And how many of us have stories that we can say, I recognize the hand of God in taking care of me. We studied downstairs this morning a terrible thing in Exodus. And that terrible thing is the reverence and awe that we have for God when he does something special. It's just incredible. And when we give that testimony, we awaken within the desire of everybody listening to say, this thing is of God. They cannot refute it. And this was a call especially to Rebecca to come and be the bride of Isaac. We have a call to all the people we meet to give a testimony and invite them to be the bride of Jesus. And when we speak from the heart, it becomes convincing. And even though Laban and Bethuel said, wait, at least 10 days, Eliezer said no, because a lot of times people can go back and by outside influences and even the questions of their own mind, turn their way and stay rather than go and be a bride of Christ. A little different way of looking at it, isn't it? The question I have this morning, and I'm going to leave you guys with, and the question I ask myself, what's my story? What do I have in an experience with Jesus and his Father that I can share with others that comes from my heart? rather than my head. I have doctrine. I have theories. I have traditions. But when I look back, the perfect example of how it took a cold contact between Eliezer and Rebecca and brought it to the intimate and the most perfect marriage in all of Scripture of Isaac and Rebecca, then I have to ask myself the question, what does it tell me? What's my story? And it puts me back to what's my relationship with my father? What is my relationship with his son? Do I have a story to share with somebody? I'd like to finish with a story. Jerry and I used to do a lot of trips to Mexico when we lived in California. And we shared with somebody in Oregon a mission. And they decided they wanted to do a mission. Jerry and I had met a lady by the name of Doña Anita Espinosa, as known as the Angel of Baja where she took at the last, before they ever paved the roads in, um, oh, Jerry, what's the name of the town? El Rosario was the last of the uh, paved road. And from El Rosario to uh, San Ignacio and Santa Rosalia, it was about 350 miles, and it was a four-wheel drive road. So she would take down the names of these people who were coming down for adventure and, and keep tabs on them. So if they didn't, 
returned, she would send a rescue party out. And she also knew that there were indigenous people in the area because she was a, uh, a result of a Frenchman engineer came over looking for minerals to mine and an Indian. And her, her father and mother were royalty in the Indian tribe, so she was an Indian princess. And she had a real thing for her in her heart for the indigenous people of the area. And there just so happened to be uh, one winter. It had rained and rained and rained and rained. And a lot of the places where the dry creeks run through, they don't build bridges. They just go right down through the dry wash, build the road. And when they get the heavy rains, it washes the road out. And El Rosario is dependent upon transportation to get a lot of their food. They don't grow a whole lot out in the middle of the desert. And they had had a particular hard, hard winter with lots of rain. Lots of the uh, fords were washed out. And Donia Nita having a little restaurant there and taking care of the people had connections back. And she had quite a stash of food. She dealt in 100 pounds of wheat, of uh, beans and rice. And she had, she had a good stash, and she would share it with people in need. Well, the Indians came down out of the mountains and said, you know, due to the lack of transportation and everything, we're running out of food. We've already had people die from starvation. Donia Nita says, you know, hey, I've got these gunny sacks full of rice and beans and other things, and so she gave them some. But she also had a little girl, young girl, that lived with her and did household chores. Donia Nita was getting older and needed the help. And when this young lady saw Donia Nita give away their food, she got very angry. And when, they had, when the Indians had left, she said, Donia Nita, why did you give away our food? She says, and Donia Nita answered and said to keep them from starving. And she says, now we're going to starve. You gave away our food that's supposed to keep us alive. Why did you do that? And she says, that's something I'll have to tell you about because God will provide. This young lady didn't believe in God. She was a spiritualist. And she said, no way, no way. You have condemned us to death. I hate you. But it was the only place that she could find food, so she said it very kindly because she knew if she stayed with Donia Anita, she'd stay alive. Unbeknownst to Donia Anita and this young lady, our friends, Rick and Kay Cooksley from Canyonville, Oregon, decided they wanted to go on a mission trip a year before this torrential downpour happened with the youth department from the Canyonville SDA Church. So they fundraised and they bought several 100-pound uh, bags of rice and beans and other things, and they had, they had a bunch so they caravan up, and as soon as they had to postpone it because they knew the roads were impassable, and they kept just listening and listening and listening. And 
Finally, they said, okay, I think we can make it. They've got these things. They've pushed a road through. They've kind of restored it. It's not paved yet. We might have to only do two or three miles an hour. We might be up to our axles in water and mud, but we're going to go down, and we're going to go down to Dona Nita, and we're going to visit her, and we're going to do some other things in the area. So they get down there. It was uh, quite, quite a trip. I think they planned on two days, and it took them like four. And with a bunch of teenagers confined in a car for 10 to 12 to 14 hours a day. <clears throat> Just use your imagination. Okay. Anyway, so they get to Donia Nita's place. And they're just going to go visit her. They're just going to visit her. And Donia Nita's happy and everything. And the little, the, the, the long, young Indian girl sitting over in the corner. She doesn't speak any English. Donia Nita does. And Rick and Kay, they're talking about. The kids are all walking walking around and looking at some of the things that Donia Anita has there. And Kay, out of the corner of her eye, noticed this young, well, excuse me, I'm leaving out a very important part of the story. Rick and Kay are getting ready to leave. They go, oh, Donia Anita, how would you like about 200 pounds of rice and a couple hundred pounds of beans? You only have people 200 pounds of rice and beans feed? That's a lot. And so they go get the bags out of the, out of the truck, and they give them to her. And Kay noticed that this young Indian girl, sitting over the corner, trying to be inconspicuous, is crying. And Kay, being very sensitive to culture and such, goes up to Donia Anita and says, uh, why is she crying? Donia Anita says, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's just her. But she wouldn't quit crying. She, so she goes up to Donia. Donia Nita, did one of my kids do something? Did they, they offend her? Did they, did they say something that they shouldn't have said? And Donia Nita says, no, 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 no. It's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. And Kay kept pressing the issue. And Donia Nita finally says, okay, sit down. I have a story to tell. She told the, told the story of how this young girl was so angry at her and her God because she had given the food away and in her mind had signed a death warrant for them. And Donia Nita's testimony was, is God will provide, God will provide, God will provide. When this young lady saw the rice and the beans come through the door, she recognized that Donia Anita's connection with God and her prayer of God will provide meant that God was real and would had an interest in her life. They didn't talk the Sabbath. They didn't talk the state of the dead. They didn't do the 2,300 days. They didn't do the investigative judgment. They talked about what God had done for them. And she saw it and responded. You think she's a Christian today? Yes, absolutely. This is the story of Eliezer and Rebecca, a cold contact. And Eliezer shared from his heart how God had answered his prayer. And he did it with enthusiasm. He did it with 
expression. He did it with excitement. He did it with gifts. And when Rebecca was said, when she was faced with that question, will you go with him? Probably never to see her family again. We know that. To leave home and respond with, yes, I will go. The lesson is, share your story. It's the most impactful, powerful message that we can give somebody from a foreign country. Page 516. 